Andy, welcome to the RT Rugby Podcast after Munster succumbed to Leinster in the Pro 14 final. The last Pro 14 final of this year until the new South African sides come in uh, next year. Uh, Leinster winning uh, yet again. Disappointing match, I think, maybe overall. But I guess for Munster supporters, uh, pretty hard to swallow the manner in which they went down to Leinster. Donald Lennon, Bernard Jackman and soon-to-be Wesley Liddy joining me on the podcast this week. Gents, you're all very welcome. And look, Donald, I, I guess just to start off with the game itself, um, we all hoped that Munster would put in a performance to match what they wanted to achieve, which was their first bit of silverware in a long time. It didn't materialise for whatever reason, and the result was that Leinster were really never under that much pressure. No, I think that's a fair comment. Um, I also think it's a little over the top, having yourself and Bernard in your blue tops. Uh, can I just say that had Munster managed to win, there is no way I'd have dug up a red top to get on this thing. No, uh, no. You're the, ever the uh, neutral statesman. And uh, to be fair, I uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's several things I'd rather do than wear a Leinster top around the place. <laughs> gouge my eyes out. So this is not, not in supporting Leinster, I can tell you. <laughs> anyway, I suppose, look, just to get back to the point. Um, yeah, a, a hugely disappointing performance from Munster. And uh, let's be honest, Leinster didn't have to be anywhere near their best to, uh, near their best to win it. Uh, for me... The most disappointing thing is that that Munster just seemed flat and that they were so far off the pace in terms of intensity. Uh, right from the kickoff, there was a mix-up between um, John Klein and, and Andrew Conway in terms of calling for the kickoff. And uh, uh, Dave Kearney, a great chase, put Munster under pressure. So eight seconds into the match, Leinster have an attacking line out 15 metres out. It brought me back. I remember the, uh, you know, we're grasping at straws here, going back to the 06 semi-final in Lansdowne Road. The exact same thing happened. I think Mallow Kelly uh, was lifted early for the for the kickoff. Ball went loose and Munster were straight into Leinster. And, and, you know, you do get a feel. It's amazing, even in the professional game. You get a feel for things in the first 10 minutes of a match. And uh, just for me, I couldn't believe just how off the pace Munster were. And uh, look, I mean, the bottom line is 10-point differential at the end, despite all the stuff that has been said and written about, you know, there isn't that much of a gap between them. Uh, there is. That's the bottom line. And and uh, I think Munster, had, had Leinster had their clinical hat on in terms of finishing, then the result would have been uh, even a, a far greater defeat. I think that's the, the main takeaway, I guess, from the disappointment of a Munster view, Bernard, that Leinster didn't have to play particularly well to win the game and, and they were comfortable without actually seeing anywhere near what we know they're capable of i always measure the gauge of uh, how invested i am in a game of if i'm able to sit there watching it without checking what people are saying on twitter but i was on my phone after about eight or nine minutes thinking this is this is going to be a long old game what did you make of it being there yourself yeah i think i'm very disappointed monster I, I thought monster had surely had one big game in them one big performance in them um it looked like with the way leinster managed their bench that you know, um, the, the opportunity was to start fast and, and, and get up a bit of a score pressure. Uh, and the reality was, you know, people are talking about their great defence. I mean, you know, they, they scrambled reasonably well, but Leinster were wasteful. I don't even think it was down to massive uh, a massively organised defence. And I think what Leinster spotted in them was that they're very narrow in defence. And he saw Leinster going after him in those wide channels. Leinster played with more width than they normally do. And I think once we're trying to get Joey Carby into the backfield pretty quickly, uh, we saw when he was in the front field, Leinster targeted him and got some some inroads there. Um, and it just seemed to be all, like not on the same page. So like the centres would blitz in, but the wingers would would drift and they ended up going back soft again. Leinster were getting easy carries. So, and also, I mean, Johan said after the match, uh, you know, 
it's a pity it wasn't a, a dry day. The conditions made it hard to play. If the, I think, having looked at it, if the conditions had been better, uh, Leinster would have went for the juggler and it could have been a, a 25, 30 points uh, win. I don't think Munster would benefit at the moment from a dry day. I don't think they're that set up in terms of their attack yet. Um, and to beat Leinster, I don't think they can outplay them. They, they need to get stuck into them and they didn't really. I mean, John Klein made some big hits, fair play to him, but the problem is he, he can't carry the ball well. Um, and the back row, Leinster back row were absolutely dominant. Bar Coombs, who apparently put his hand up, but um, and obviously front front row, front row Leinster's front row are just a different class. Even their bench, or whatever way you mix it up, um, they're that's the big weakness for Munster. And I think Munster signing another lock is 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 no good to them. You know they need a big hooker, or they need a big tight head, or bring through Knox or or, or Salnoa. Wes, if the conditions were better, Munster would have played better and probably won the game. Obviously, Hugh, you know what I mean? They were very evenly matched, we've been told, the last two days, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't agree with that uh, assertion. I didn't think Leinster were poor either. I thought their, their finishing let them down in a couple of instances, but I thought around the pitch they were they were excellent. Their composure, their ability to retain possession, I thought was excellent. Um, the first half, there was bits and pieces from Munster, I suppose. They were hanging on a bit, but their defence was good and... It was an attempt to kind of launch a little bit and attack, but the second half was, was borderline pathetic, really, to be honest, I thought. Yeah, look, I'm just looking there. I just wanted to double-check, Donald, uh, when it is Johan van Graan's contract is up. So he, he recently signed a two-year extension, which means he's there until at least June 2022. And, if you know, Monster fans are probably thinking this week, we're saying, what, where, what are we doing here? Um, you know, what's the plan? Look at that team that was out there. And we spoke about this last week. What the Munster side we expected to line out was pretty much to a man what did line out. And that team should be more than capable of, of putting up to and beating Leinster on a regular basis, not just sporadically once every few years, and putting in performances that are higher than the sum parts of what we saw at the weekend. And, you know, you look at Van Gran, and even if you accept, fine, he's not the most experienced head coach in the world. He does have a very good assistant underneath him in Stephen Larkham, who's done it, been there and done it at all levels and coached at the top level. He has Graeme Rowntree, who's been there and done that uh, coaching and played at the top level as well. And you just wonder why things aren't clicking. Yeah, well, I think your 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 statement, beating them sporadically, I don't think once in 11 games even counts as sporadic. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, um, you know, it was... It was uh, oh. I have to say it was it was almost uh, depressing from the point of view you felt it was now or never for Munster. This was the day in terms of um, it was more Leinster fellas that played for Ireland throughout the Six Nations, more minutes played there. Um, uh, now Leinster did have the facility to be able to mix and match in terms of leaving some of their internationals like Ty Burn or Ty Burlong and um, Johnny Sexton on the bench. Munster went fully locked and loaded in terms of everyone who was available was back. So this was their best team. Um, uh, so, I mean, for them not to fire a shot was incredible. Um, look, the bottom line is, I think you have to expect, um, uh, uh, Leinster, for me, are the best team in Europe. If you look at the top four teams in Europe at the moment, you're looking at uh, Leinster, Toulouse, Racine, Exeter Chiefs. Okay? Mm -hmm. Um and, and of those, I would put Leinster number one. Uh, I would expect Leinster, um, I know they've, they've a, a reasonably tough draw, but I, I could see them winning the Champions Cup again this year. Uh, Munster, I mean, it's like, it's like Man City and Man United. Like, Man United aren't anywhere near Man City. 
Munster and anywhere near Leinster. And it comes down to uh, you, you won't win anything at any level unless you have strength and depth. And Munster, with all the best will in the world, and there is a good crop of young fellas coming in, and I would question the way Munster are developing those young players. And I would question why they need to buy another uh, six foot seven giant of a South African in the second row. And even there, it's not transparent. They're telling us he's a back row and he's been picked to play to cover for CJ Stander. He's a second row who has played occasionally in the back row. He's not a back row that can play in the second row. Um, and, you know, ball winning hasn't been Munster's problem up to last Saturday. I mean, the bottom line is last, last Munster normally operate off a surfeit of possession and then they find it difficult to convert that possession into points on the board. They're normally in the 65% uh, plus category in terms of, of possession. So therefore, when you're down to 36%, as they were last weekend, and down to 29% territory, you've no chance. Then when you miss 35 tackles on top of that, and I agree wholeheartedly with Bernard in terms of, I read Stephen Larkin this morning talking about our, de our defence was great. Our scramble defence was great. Munster missed 35 tackles. They were opened up in midfield with Dialande and Farrell there. They were opened up at ease. Um, like scramble defence, I suppose it's a reflection on, on a work ethic and all that, which is never brought into question. And Munster, they did scramble well. But you have to say, um, like Rory O'Loughlin had two poor passes at one stage in the first half that yeah. could have been scoring passes. Um, so, I mean, you, you have to question what's happening. There is quality players there, but there hasn't. It's a bit like Ireland to the extent that we were talking all along. There hasn't been the progression in attack that you would have hoped to have seen. And I agree in terms of, like, I think Roundtree has done a brilliant job. I have I have spoken to the players there. They absolutely love him and he's he's um, he's bringing in. And I think a testimony of to where he is will come in the next year or two when you see, has he the facility to bring on the likes of Knox and Salanoa and, um, you know, Liam O'Connor, uh, Josh Witcherly, you know, these young props because Munster need that. They need more dynamic fellas in there now. Um, the disappointment has been attack. I mean, we, 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 Munster bought a, a World Cup winning midfielder. You've seen Chris Farrell can look, you know, at international level, he's looked really good. Um, but that combination hasn't worked. Uh, in fact, I thought Chris Farrell, some of his passing, particularly off his left hand, was really poor the last day. And you have to be on position when you're playing against Leinster. But the bottom line is, the quality that Leinster have. I mean, the back row that started. Ruddock, I mean, every day. We're talking about Ruddock now for a number of years. He's an outstanding player who hasn't got the return he deserves in terms of Ireland caps. Ruddock van der Fleer Conan played that monster back row off the pitch, with the exception of, of Conan, of, uh, sorry, young Coombs. Yes. The backup for that, you could say, Will Connors, Dan Levy, Caelan Doris as your second back row, as of now, mother of God. Behind them, Josh Murphy, Max Deegan, Scott Penny. Yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, then you have to add, like, I don't, I, I, I suppose we're all wiser with the benefit of hindsight. CJ Stander, I thought, when you look back at the, the international week he had, he was obviously, you know, the emotional draining with all the thing about retirement and the game against England. He was off the pace. Ty Byrne was running on fumes. Like, when you look at his work rate throughout the Six Nations. But, like, they're all excuses. In the overall context, 
Munster, particularly from attacking perspective, they haven't improved their game. And you can be brilliant against some of the teams in the Pro 14, but we know, by and large, that's a complete and utter waste of time. And in no other season more so than this particular, <coughs> sorry, in this particular season. Um, so I have to say, from that point of view, uh, I was really, really disappointed with Munster's performance. Like you, felt, you, you know, Leinster are a better side, but on a day like a final with so much at stake, you feel okay. You're going to lift your game to such a level. Maybe Leinster may not be at that level. Maybe they'll have an eye on Toulon next Friday night. But that didn't happen. And for that, you have to say, Cullen and Lancaster manage their whole and look at the with with that depth of squad trying to keep everybody happy is an almost impossibility but they're managing to do it so you have to say in terms of their coaching and their management setup they're streets ahead of where Munster are at the moment just coming on that just coming that Hugh I, I absolutely I agree with Donald um, 100% and Leinster should be lauded and, but I think we're going to have lots of opportunities to talk about Leinster a lot um, before the end of the season this pod there, there, there's a chance they could win four trophies in a, in a in a season, which would be incredible. But I, I think Munster have lost what they were always good at, which was cup rugby and, and semi-finals, finals. And that's the frustrating thing. Um, and I understand, I think it's forgivable that they're not at the same level as Leinster over the course of the season because it's Leinster's depth. But once they get into semi-finals, finals, they, they need to be better. And, and I think this squad, and Johan could potentially be in the firing line now, but... I mean, Razzie couldn't get him to win a semi-final. Um, you know, Rob Penny wasn't good enough. Axel wasn't good enough for this group of players or whatever. And, uh, it, like, at some stage, you have to either cha change the players. I mean, and also, like, Leinster had a dip uh, in 2000. When Joe left, they had a bit of a dip for two years. And Scarlets, Glasgow, and Connacht managed to win titles. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, John Muldoon made sure his legacy in, in Connacht was he got him to the to the holy grail for them, which was a, which was a pro or a pro fourteen. You know, Glasgow's leaders made sure that they, they had one moment or one year where they won a silverware. Ken Owens in, in Scarlets. This monster generation, this generation from 2010 to 2021, um, they have let, let a lot of opportunities slip. Because when you get to knockout rugby, it's about 80 minutes. It's not it's not about your depth in your squad. Number 33 to 40 doesn't matter. And I think I think Johan. Yeah, obviously there's question marks about him, but I, I think some of the senior players, and I saw Sexton come off the bench and there was a bad pass to Joey Carberry and Johnny committed himself 100% to try and lay down a marker. And he's your captain. He's your oldest player. He's your fellow who's played, you know, the most minutes, the most injury, pro, or injury prone as such. And yet he's willing to come on and really show um, what it means to him. And, I, and if I look at Munster's, like, uh, leaders, Keith didn't have a great game. Keith Earls, Peter obviously got injured early, but what we saw wasn't like he was going to have a massive game. CJ was quiet, and I understand maybe emotionally um, he wasn't there. And Connor was was very quiet. So, like, Munster aren't going to beat Leinster with their fourth Hallies men being quiet, I don't think. And that's the question. Now, uh, that's the question more so for me um, over, over Johan at the moment. He's a very quiet man, Johan. I've met him a few times. I've interviewed him a few times. He's very understated. And that doesn't mean, Wes, that, you know, he can't get the players up to a pitch for the game. And it's, it's ultimately up to the players, I think, to get to the level they need to be at to compete. They're professionals to play day in, day out. Um, but I guess the question, overriding question, is about what's happening. Donald mentioned the attack for Munster. What's happening there? The last player coach that 
for me anyway, that had a significant impact on, on changing or attempting to change Munster's style of play and attack was Rob Penny. And he was cut short uh, during his time. I, I saw he was sacked this week as well, so maybe he's not the greatest example to use. But certainly you could see that Rob Penny was trying to change the way Munster were playing. A bit like Andy Farrow so far with Ireland, up until the England game, you kind of wonder what it is that Johan van Graan is doing with this Munster team. What is it that, that he, he wants to implement? What's the style that he wants to impose on the players? Uh, I think I think what Birch is saying is, is bang on. Um, I, I think there probably has been too much blame in the coaches. Um, I think this generation of players, like th- that old team that won the two Heineken Cups started to disassemble in 2010, roughly. And the new group was Dave Kilcoyne, Mike Sherry, Omani, Zebo, Felix Jones, Danny Barnes, loads of Tommy O'Donnell. It was some guys are still there, some guys are long gone. But like, all right, the talent maybe wasn't the same as the previous generation. But the bottom line is, look where they've gone from in 2010 to where they've gone now. Um, and I think, I don't know. I I think some guys' whole careers in a red jersey probably need to be reappraised in the sense of. Um, like you're not trying to be personal about it or anything, but they're, I suppose some of them have become quote unquote legends uh, spoken of in the same way that, you know, Quinny and Wally and Leamy and all those guys are. And you, when you stop and look at it, you kind of go, well, where's that comparison come from? Because there's no comparison to what, to, between what the two groups have achieved. So that'd be one thing as far as the, the attack and the skills go I think Leinster, like Munster had a phase where they were desperately trying to get back into the game, the 62nd minute. It was the first time I noticed them building up the phases in the whole game. They went 13 phases. They were gone backwards by the end of it. As each phase went by, you were just waiting for a mistake to happen. Um, there was no ability to, to look comfortable in possession beyond one or two phases. And I, I think that's the product of I think Leinster's superiority there is the product of, of, of years of work um, at all levels of the system, not just this current squad. So, and it's not that there's not good work going on a Munster underage or anything, but it's like Leinster do have that ability to create these very competitive, ruthless environments at every stage of the development process because of those numbers they have. But you can't keep throwing that out as, as an excuse. You have to find your own way to, uh, to tackle that. And... To me, it's almost a little pointless talking about dropping kickoffs or giving away penalties because, like, you mentioned the word sporadic a while ago. Until there's a whole host of issues tackled away from the field, there's never going to be even sporadic victories. And I would have no faith any of these would be addressed, and I think things would either stay the same or get worse. Donald, it's amazing to me that Danny Barnes was let slip through the crack. Every game that Frankie Sheehan and I commentated on, he was man of the match consistently, time in, time out. So I'm amazed that Danny Barnes wasn't... Uh, wasn't wasn't allowed to stay around a monster. Look, just on Wes's point there about maybe the players not being good enough. Um, Hodnett, Coombs, Ahern, Casey, Crowley, Healy, Salanoa, Witcherly, Knox. There are a host of young players coming through now. Is the time now to just say, look, lads, we need to change here. We need to bring in these young guys. We need to stick with them. We need to implement a new squad based around these young players. And that's the plan that Monster needs to entail. Is it too simple to say that? Uh, I don't think it's it's no it, it's not too simple, but I mean it has to be a, a process that is managed properly, and that's where I see the difficulty here. I mean, Thomas O'Hearn is a young player that we've 
been speaking about now for two or three seasons. We've seen him play for Ireland at under-20s level. We know he's a phenomenal athlete. We know he can do things that, well, I won't say other second rows can do. Well, Devin Toner can't, I can tell you that much. Yeah, well, no, but I tell you, he, he can do the things that are almost becoming the norm for the modern-day second row to do. I yeah. mean, you saw Ryan Baird coming off the bench. First thing he did, goes in, he strips CJ Stander. His athleticism, his ability to chase the, the restart in Scotland, all, all of those things. A Hearn can do those things. He's now 21, 22 years of age. He should be a regular starter, it's certainly in... in in 50-60% of, uh, of the Pro 14 matches. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I know where Wes is coming from in terms of going back to the team of the noughties and all that. That's a different generation. We have to move on from that. And, you know, I mean, the, the current crop must be, sh you know, shit sick of, of, of living in their shadow. But the bottom line is, as Bernard quite rightly says, they've done nothing about it. I mean, the record of failure, and it, let's be honest, they've lost three Pro 14 finals um, since 2015. They've lost five semifinals and they've lost seven semifinals in Europe since they were last in uh, a Heineken Cup final. I mean, it is and, and it, it, it becomes endemic. I mean, you're there, you get to a point and uh, there seems to be a psychological barrier there somewhere. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I, I think the point Bernard made about cup rugby is absolutely right. And uh, that is the one thing that the team of the noughties were brought up on in terms of All-Ireland League and Munster Cups and playing for your club and all that. And that's, it's a different generation, I know, and you move on. But there, there is issues in terms of what's happening in Munster and in terms of the way, like there's a lot of good development stuff that's been done. We've all spoken about the 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 growth and the crop of young fellas that have come out of West Cork, that should be in addition to what you already have. But what the pluses you're getting from that are being more than offset by the losses that you have from, you know, what we've spoken about before. No Limerick forwards. Dave Kilcoyne, again, the only one in the matchday squad. Bottom line is, the Munster team that started on Saturday, only seven of them have come through the Munster system. The other eight have either come through Leinster, South Africa um, are, are uh, you know, somewhere else. But I mean, like that, that is a concern for me. And it's something that Munster uh, don't seem to be addressing in the layers underneath the professional game. The easy solution is to keep going away and buying a Jason Jenkins. Um, but that's not going to solve Munster's problems long term. And look, maybe that's, that's a debate for another day. But um, don't don't I, it. Donald, is that debate happening? Like that's the, like I I don't I'd hate to see Munster slip away and and like, you know we can have a bit of slagging and joking, but realistically it's not really a rivalry at the moment. It's it's just not. It's, it's not. It's not. You got to you got to win at least yeah. 40 40 percent of yeah. the game. So, but I mean, is do people in Munster realize that it's a, they're at a, a tipping point now where they either address the issues that have got them into this situation and try and catch up. Or if they trick themselves and believe everything will be okay, Jason Jenkins come in next year, RG Slyman will be back. Um, you know, Leinster might the Johnny Sexton, <coughs> we might we might Listen, win. The, you know, are they the honest answer the un honest answer to that is no. I'll give you one fundamental. I, I think I might have mentioned it in this thing before. It drives me bananas. We're the only province in Ireland that has a North Munster branch 
and a South Munster branch. Now, I'm, I'm a club president in, in Carcon, so I have a fair idea of what's going on at club level and in the politicking at branch level. And it just fills me with frustration. I mean, there's a suggestion, you know, you, you, uh, you have the 1A and 1B clubs and then you have the, the, the second division clubs and it's almost one against the other when it comes to voting and trying to do anything that's progressive. Under 20s rugby in Cork, or sorry, in Munster, is a disaster. You get a nice group of young kids coming out of school and you try and build your 20s, you put a good coaching structure in there and then you're lucky if these guys get four or five games a year. Is it any wonder they give up? I mean, jeez, I, 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 I'd keep it for another day, but I mean, it just got so bad about two or three years ago. Uh, and we would, Con wouldn't be the top under 20 team. UCC would be by far and away for obvious reasons. They have a good influx of good young kids. They're well organized. But we just got fed up of our players not getting any matches. Teams crying off on a Friday night. And we were on, we were actually had applied to get into Leinster to play in the, un, in the under 20 system in Leinster. Things got so bad. We were actually passed by the Munster Professional Board and the monster, it was pulled by the rugby committee. And, but, I mean, it's symptomatic of what's happening in Munster. And unless people work together, put up their hands and say we have problems, then all that is happening at the layer underneath the professional game. And you can't keep going to Leinster and bringing in an Andrew Conway and a Tygburn and, and these guys. You've, you've you know, I, we're absolutely thrilled to have them there. And those players have been brilliant for Munster. But you've got to get your own foundations right. And there's no question for me that there has been an almost uh, an acceptance because Munster have been there or thereabouts. And, um, but, but we're not addressing the fundamental issues that are happening uh, underneath that professional layer. And that is hugely important because Munster like there's a different model in place. Munster don't have the school's feeder setup that Leinster have. So therefore you've got to work and the example, the work that's been done by clubs in West Cork and producing those players and schools. And you can see the benefit of it. Reggie San, the, 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 the assistant coach who was in Toulouse, who's now gone on to Bordeaux, or, or, um, the work that he did, that model of, of, of a school and a club working together. He generated uh, uh, skill levels in the likes of the Jack Crowleys and that abandoned grammar school. Like that is the model for how you can affect change. But uh, listen, oh, I mean, Donald, for, for what Jason Jenkins is being paid, you'd speculate they could probably bring in three coaches with the same profile as Reggie San and put them in three identified hotspots in the province where you can double up with a school or a club or multiple clubs. Like, I'd happily throw in an academy player in a couple of Pro 14 games and lose him to get that level of development five years down the track. Is that a, a fair point? I couldn't agree more. Um, listen, we still have the same two schools in Cork when I was playing. Present Christians, do you know what I mean? Uh, Bandano have come up, up to that A level. But there's been very little progress in those areas. Um, but, and, but as I, I keep going back, we can't rely on the schools model. We have a different setup there. You, Young fellas down in Munster, they, they play a lot more, say, Gaelic football and hurling and rugby. They tend to play a whole host of different sports up to a specific age. And that works for them because their skill levels and their, uh, you know, they, they have skills that fellas who only played rugby and nothing else from the age of 10 
don't have. So therefore, we have to adjust the model to suit the uh, resources and the quality that we have, but we're not doing that. And I, I just find it incredibly frustrating because, um, you know, I see some of the things that are, that are happening and it, it just drives me bananas. What, what do you, how do you solve this, Birch? I mean, look, this is um, something that if they start fixing it now, if they address the issues that Donald has outlined there, months from now, behind the scenes, you know, this is something that we probably won't see a return on for about five or six years. That's the reality. If that's how far they are behind now. Look, I think they're very lucky that even despite, obviously, issues that are that are there, um, they do actually have a crop. Uh, and it's happened, like, they haven't had a crop for the last five or six years, which is, has obviously led to some players getting, you know, okay. months of jersey that maybe they wouldn't have before. But there actually does look like there's a crop now. The Tom Irons, the Jack Crowdies, the Ben Heedies, the Flannerys, the the Hodnets, um, you know, Jack O'Sullivan, et cetera, there's a, there's a, uh, that are there. I actually think they need to fast-track them. They need to fast-track them and get a group of them together who maybe can become, you know, the the, the senior group in the next three or four years. Because, look, at what we, we've all seen them at under-20s level. They are talented kids. They're as good, they were as good under-20s level as the Leinster cohort. They're, right? as good as, uh, they're as good as the English, the French. We saw them yeah. beat these teams. They are yes, phenomenally yeah. talented players. So, look, at that's... The, that's one thing you're lucky you have that uh, because I think it's just I'm not sure it was down to system but they're there now or whatever they need to be brought through but then obviously they need to look at how you can create that type of um, group year on year or at least two or three players mm. who can make that step up uh, and not even two or three maybe one a year is enough, mm. enough. like one, one good player coming through will be enough but I, I, yeah, I think but, Bert, but, Bert, but we're talking like it's not five or six years the bottom line is with those players and 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 that there is a talented group coming through. Like, but still with all the faults, they're making they're making the semi-finals and yeah. finals in Europe or quarterfinals in Europe, semi-finals or final of Pro 14. There's clubs all over the place would give their IT to have that level of consistency. So the bottom line is they're not a million miles away. No. So um, so it's wrong to paint the picture like that. Oh, geez, everything is doom and gloom. They're making finals. They're making semi-finals. They went to wait to Claremont. Look at that game. For me, I thought that was the day. This was the turning point. This was like there were twenty-plus points down at one stage, and with a mixture of of uh, just uh, you know brilliant play, high hanging in there. JJ Hanrahan. He obviously did. Like he's going to Claremont. That day obviously influenced Claremont to such a degree. If you remember, I think he was nine from nine off the tee. He's got a new contract out of that. So. They're not a million miles away, but this program with these young fellas and bringing them on has to run parallel to that. And then you bring in your two or three quality, like your Snamans and your Dialande, who make the difference to every club. Um, so, uh, but but I agree, there is those talented guys there, um, and you know, but throwing them in one game four or five, and then you know they don't even. They mightn't play a game then for three or four weeks. That's another issue. I mean, the COVID thing certainly has stifled the development of a whole load of those young fellas. I mean, you mentioned Jack Crowley. He might have got three games as a 10 in the last nine months. I mean, no, that's true. That's true. Nobody's fault, but it's just, it doesn't help the scenario. Yeah. Um, to lose this weekend for Munster, Birch, <clears throat> look. It'd be just like Munster to go out and put in a performance this weekend, wouldn't it, when everyone has written them off and said they haven't got a chance. But um, it's, it's very hard to see them being a very, very strong Toulouse side. No, historically, I would have said, yeah, there'd be a massive backlash. But 
I don't know, I'm losing faith in their ability to to get up for for games, given how 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 poor they were against Leicester, where it should have been red hot, you know. So look at it is Europe. They they obviously Europe's a huge part of Munster's heritage. Toulouse are a um you know a a, a standard team and. They just they, to lose themselves just come off a, a poor performance against Montpellier where their breakdown work was was terrible and that's an area to gain the Munster are strong so yeah you, you could definitely pick out moments from last weekend's to lose game against Montpellier and say Munster have an advantage there but I think I think across the field in terms of X factor in terms of um, cohesion power uh, to lose are, are going to be, look they're not going to roll away they're not going to walk away with it but I think to lose are, are are going to be too good for that. Okay, and then before you go, I know because you're up against with time, just uh, Toulon on Friday night, would you expect Leinster to overcome a, a significantly weaker Toulon than the, the, the last one in the European Cup? Yeah, I think that's the big thing. I think when everyone saw these fixtures, if you're not, we don't we don't have access to top 14 rugby in Ireland live. If people think Toulon are the same team that were winning European Cups, they are, they're far from it. They still have some big name players, you know, like some Estebet, uh, Mananu, but he'll be suspended. Um, a couple of good French players, Olivion, uh, Serra. Uh, Carbono 10 but they're all over the place like uh, yeah they're, they're pretty poor now there might be a reaction they're coached by Calazzo used to be La Rochelle Gloucester yeah. the old fashioned coach there may be a reaction to shipping 50 points against Leon, but I think Leinster will be way fitter way uh, way better across the field and that's that's a match that looks harder on paper than it actually probably will be OK Birch thanks many for your time appreciate it we'll talk to you next week you. Uh, it's just for Munster this weekend and Toulouse you know uh, I don't know if any, if any or, or many changes will be made this weekend, uh, but I'd, I'd love to see some of the younger guys come in. It's probably not the time to do it now if he, if Van Gran hasn't had that philosophy for for the season. Uh, yeah. Fair, so I, I don't know. Leinster put their, or Munster put the strongest team out in the hope that it'll be enough to to back and be to lose this uh, this weekend. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't anticipate a lot of changes to be honest. Um... Uh, yeah, there, there's almost an element of who cares, like in a sense, because I mean, it, it, coming back and rallying with this big fight and one performance might actually be masking a few things going forward. But look, when you get to the day of the game, obviously you'd be very eager to win as always. But you know, I don't, I don't think they're in a place to to seriously look at winning the European Cup. So I mean, that's that's what you're kind of aspiring to. But as far as the young players go, I think maybe this hopefully. Um, if it happens, this Rainbow Cup with a run of six, seven games, um, you just commit to playing four or five of these guys in each of those games um, with the notion that they're ready to hit the ground running next season. Well, why do you um, think it is that Van Gran can't see what everybody else is able to see? I mean... I think sometimes it's what we can't see either. Like, you know, he does see them training every day. There is a lot of work-ons to do to... To, to become the complete package, but it, it's almost like they need them to be the complete package before they put them in, um, rather than, you know, some some of getting to that place is, is stuff you learn in a game as opposed to training. So there's, I, I think you've got to learn so much and then you have to be trusted. So it's just kind of judging that correctly. But yeah, th- th- they probably are quite conservative, even though I look, they would trust that such a, that they're, the players they've given a, a debut to, etc. But they could probably do a little bit more in terms of giving guys their their head in terms of game time. Yeah, Donald, do you want to come in there? Yeah, I think that like you know, they'll 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 cite the fact they played. Oh God, I did fifty four, five or six fellas in the in the Pro fourteen. But as we've said, some of those games are were a waste of time. Um, 
the bottom line is sometimes we only throw the fella in, you know, when it's desperation. You look at Josh Witcherly. He, you know, there was an injury crisis at Loosehead. They had no, no, no option but to throw him in against Claremont away, up against Rabbit Slimani, one of the greatest tight heads of all yeah. time. He gets absolutely milled in the first scrum, but he hangs in there and he finds a way to fight and to, to get himself back to the point where he, he ended up at two scrum penalties, which, which opened the way for Munster to get back into that game. Like, we haven't seen him since. One, one or two outings. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and that's the frustrating thing for me. Um, and I, do you know what? I'm a, I'm a bit with Wes. I, I made the point there at the, you know, at the time, we didn't know what was going to happen with the, um, uh, the Heineken Cup because rounds three and four had been cancelled. And I suppose uh, going away to Claremont was a daunting task. I, I, I made a point that maybe Munster might have been better off not qualifying into the Champions Cup given the way that it worked out because they might have a great chance of winning the Challenge Cup and you know having that opportunity to win a trophy might be just a little bit of a kickstart that they need um, but look they qualified in fairness and and uh, you know but you're, you're you're playing a Toulouse side I mean to me to be fair the opportunity and I'm lucky we're doing the game on, on RT radio but for me the opportunity once again to see the likes of DuPont and Intermac, but most especially Chelsea and Colby, up close and in the flesh. That's the most exciting thing for me. I mean, it's probably one of those games, given what happened last weekend, when Munster would have needed the 26,000 packed Thoman Park, coming out the, the tunnel, you know, the lift that that gives you, everybody just doing everything to try and get behind the team. But that's not going to be there. So they're going to have to rely on themselves. And, uh, you know, you look at the quality Toulouse has, the, the front row alone, Cyril Bay and, and Jean Marchand were regular starters at Loosehead and, and Hooker for um, France and the Six Nations, and you've Charlie Famouina at Tighthead. Um, you know, they're a, they're a quality team. Um, so look, it, it is going to be a difficult one for Munster, but a lot of it is going to come down to what's happening in the head. The worry I have, you know, the likes of a Tigburn, who has been so outstanding, um, I just thought he, he really looked as if he was running on empty. And these games are just coming thick and fast. Um, you win this weekend, you could be going to Claremont or Wasps. So um, uh, it's a difficult one. But I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is. Is it in them? OK, just to finish up, lads, um, a couple of quick stories. Uh, Wes, you sent on a story to me yesterday, which I hadn't seen myself, about uh, the New Zealand Former captains, um, including the current captain, Sam Kane, but I think more than um, half a dozen of them um, are threatening to block this proposed move by the New Zealand Rugby Union to bring in private equity group Silver Lake in a deal that they reckon is around about 465 million New Zealand dollars. So the players themselves, the All Blacks captains, feel that the deal won't be progressive for New Zealand rugby, that it will um, basically inhibit the game as far as, as fan relationships with New Zealand and also it'll impact as well on the safety of the Maori and the Pacifica game. So all these things combined mean they are saying that they will not support the deal. I know the New Zealand Rugby Union are supposed to um, vote on it next week. On the back of the CBC deal here, I guess it's interesting to see their take, the players take, that this just because New Zealand rugby might be very much appreciative and could need the money, doesn't mean that the players believe it's the best thing for the game itself. And in the context of the CBC deal, which last week I should add as well, um, did suggest that they want to keep a free-to-air element of the Six Nations going, which obviously for the likes of BBC, ITV, RTE, Virgin would be good news. 
uh, I just thought it was an interesting reaction by the players. Yeah, very much so. Um, I suppose what they're saying is certain elements of the All Blacks culture are, are very much belonging to, to Maori and Pacific Islander culture. I mean, the Hakka being an obvious one, but that these things um, aren't for sale, really. Um, whether that's naive or there's a PR component to that, who knows? But um, it could actually be quite sparsighted um, in terms of, you know, they've, they've specifically mentioned not damaging the relationship between the rugby public and, you know, the wider public and, and the All Blacks. And, and it, you know, that, that is the most important thing at the end of the end of the day. And I suppose they've, they haven't gone too concrete in their statement, but they've said their belief that, you know, that money can be raised through other sources. Um, and if it can, or if some portion of it can, that's enough to get by and they preserve that integrity of, 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 the All Blacks, um, it's a great move. Now, there's, there's others would argue the All Blacks uh, sold out commercially a long time ago. So yeah. I guess it's um, it's where you want to uh, fall on that side of the fence. Really. Well, the AIG shirt sponsorship deal was the beginning of that, wasn't it? And, and you know, I think once that was struck, I think uh, New Zealand kind of lost whatever moral high ground they could afford to take on these sponsorship deals. As regards to CBC, Donald, last week was the first time that I'd heard CBC comment about the free-to-air element of the Six Nations. And I was surprised, genuinely. Everything that I had been led to believe about the deal they were going to conduct was going to be something like an Amazon deal, a, a private pay-per-view deal with the Six Nations. But it does seem now that they recognise, to give them their due, they recognise the importance of keeping rugby available to the masses in some form so that people can watch the game. Yeah, I think, look, it's, it's encouraging to see that rugby as a sport is, uh, is willing to learn from the mistakes of others. You know, we spoke about Formula One and, and cricket in particular, who both went behind the paywalls and how they just lost the audiences massively in the UK in particular. Uh, to be fair to Philip Brown, the CEO of the RFU, when he was questioned about this, he seemed quite bullish at the time that it didn't mean automatically that the Six Nations would be going behind the paywall. So they obviously had spoken about this in advance. Um, but I think a lot of it is to do... Uh, I, Just sorry, give you yeah. what, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't go behind the paywall this time and then the rights are worth more when they do go behind the paywall in two or yeah. three cycles' time yeah. to ultimately sell it at a bigger profit, which is their goal. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, 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 that'll be interesting. I mean, uh, maybe it's, as you say... It's, you know, just stick your toe in the water for a little bit first. And I think they've been lucky in that the partner, it looks as if the potential partner for the, um, uh, the pay-per-view is Amazon, as opposed to a BT or a Sky who would be looking for exclusivity uh, within themselves, number one. But secondly, Amazon seemed to be quite happy. It looks as if it could be the November series. What was the Autumn Nations Cup? when you'll have the teams now will be added coming up from the Southern Hemisphere next year. It looks as if more of that particular competition may go behind the paywall. Amazon are quite happy with that because they're promoting themselves in the build-up to Christmas. Obviously, a huge uh, time for them to promote their wares. So um, so maybe there is an element of, of suck it and see, in, and it is only a four-year cycle. So... Um, uh, and I, I think if you jump from one ship straight into the other, then you would be asking for major trouble. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Look, obviously, we're, we're biased on this. We want to see a terrestrial television element there, whether it is RTE or Virgin or whoever. But there's no question for me if they went behind that paywall, 
the audience. I mean, they've been averaging, is it 8.7, 8.8 million uh, a match for um, BBC or ITV when they cover those games. They'd be lucky to get five or 600,000 if it goes behind the paywall. And that is, that's the difference. It's massive. Young yeah. fellas, young kids, they have to have heroes to aspire to. And if you can't see it on the telly, then that's a major issue. Uh, and to be fair, you go back, go back to your New Zealand thing. I wouldn't be as okay with the deal that um, uh, the, the 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 capital or the, the the venture capitalists down there were offering. But it's interesting that in in order for that deal to go through, the various the the interested parties that have to vote, every union in New Zealand. That's just not the top Super Rugby franchises. That's every rugby union. So you're talking about the Manawatu's, the Hawks Bay's, the um, the counties, Manaku and all these, they all have a vote. So, they you know, there is an, yeah, well, there's an understanding about who the ownership, who is the union, who is the RFU? The RFU at the end is made up of all the clubs. What club in Ireland had any say in whether CVC should get a, a share in the Six Nations? It goes back to France. We spoke about a, a, something very straightforward, you would have thought, the French Rugby Union looking to have an overseas head coach for the first time. But all the clubs, amateur and professional, had to vote on it. And the club said, no way. We won't have an overseas coach. So there is that ele element of ownership. Certainly, we've seen New Zealand and, and France fight for their, um, their clubs having the say. Whereas we're kind of, the clubs have no say whatsoever in Ireland in terms of what's happening in the professional game. Yeah. It's an it's important point, Hugh. Like it's... We've spoke, we've touched on it before, but it speaks to the primacy of the game in, in, in New Zealand as well, that the, people do feel they have to have a say and have to be listened to. Um, whereas, you know, Birch mentioned a while ago about do people realise they're at a tipping point when he was talking about Munster. But I, I, I think I think rugby in this country like gets a, a huge free ride in terms of accountability to the to the public particularly, you know. In terms of the IRFU and, and, and I guess lack of transparency is it or or do yeah I, I i think they can i think they can operate more or less as they please in terms of making decisions that affect um their members like be their tv rights or ticketing uh pricing or, or or all number of things like they they get away with things the ga wouldn't get away with in a million years and it's it's done under the premise sometimes if it's a professional sport we have to pay the bills but they're also a grassroots organisation, so it's a very fine line to me between what's acceptable and what's not. And I, I, I like, I think even in terms of the media coverage, I think they get a like they get an unbelievably soft ride compared to GA or, or or soccer. Yeah, probably a fair point. Something maybe we might go back into again. Um, okay, European rugby to look forward to this weekend, lads. Uh, we'll be back next week to dissect Monster Toulouse. Um, hopefully a little bit more positively. And Leinster, Toulon as well. Connacht and Ulster both in action in the Challenge Cup. Thanks for your time this week, as always, to Donald, uh, to Wes and to Bernard. We will talk to you next week. Have a good one.